Hey, glad that you are here with us today. My name's Steve. I'm one of the elders here at Echo. Um, we do have, you know, and we do have the mood lighting today because we were like, hey, it's bright outside. That stained glass allows this in. So I do apologize in advance because we'll be using our Bibles. And if you're unable to see, you might have to pull your phone out and use the flashlight feature just to be able to read the words today. So, but we get the ambiance, the ambiance of a 140-year-old building. That works, right? That works. Feeling it? Good. And, and I prefaced it with uh, that disclaimer. Here's the second disclaimer, is that once church is gone today, we're going to try to skedaddle out of here pretty quickly. Not because we hate you all in your fellowship, but because uh, we, if you can see by my daughter, we have, she has her soccer jersey on. We have a soccer game here this afternoon. And for the past years, I have been coach of her soccer team. So we, we are basically the bad news bearers equivalent of, and that's another dated reference unless you're talking about the Billy Bob Thornton version, which I've never even bothered to see because who really cares? Because there's nothing like Walter Matthau, you know, giving beers to children because that was comedy in the 1970s. Diversion. Anyways, I have been coaching uh, soccer on and off now for almost two decades. And what's interesting is that uh, before they allowed me to coach little children, I actually was a, some of you, it's learn about Steve type of day. Um, I was actually, and I think I can get it, I might, it might be battery time to change this out. Let me try one more time here. Oh, there we go. Yeah. I was actually a collegiate co- soccer coach for two years, which might actually, I don't know if that impresses you or it does not. I, I was actually responsible, responsible for getting the first victory in program history, which is my, my pedigree. Um, of course, my win percentage was like 18%, so it didn't last, and, uh, but they didn't fire me, so I had that going for me. But here's the interesting thing is that even though I played soccer collegiately at a small school, I, you know, I've been around the game, but I've only coached women. Like I've, I've never coached men. And I will offer you to that despite all the different education, the, the letters I have after my name, I think that's actually been the most enlightening educational journey I've ever had which is to coach women. Now, there, there is this issue where it's just like, you know, we're coming to more and more of equality. It's like, no, everybody's the same, uh, you know, women, men, boys and girls. But I will tell you, I believe there's still, you know, even though this is not scientific, it's anecdotal, but I believe there's a difference usually in the way that you can instruct little boys and little girls. Like last night, I had an incident um, at, the, at the soccer game. We were at the FCC game and this l- little kid behind me thought it would be cute to you know, kick me once and I was like, oh, it might have been an accident. And then the third time I turned around and I just got in the kid's face. Like, I was just like, look, do this again and I will end you. Like, just no joke. So don't do it again. And the rest, of, they like were quiet for 15 minutes because they, you know, I, I wouldn't do that to a young lady because number one, probably a, a young lady, a little girl, probably is not gonna kick me like that. Like, they're just a little less evil on the scale. A little. But you just have different ways that they move and instruct. And I figured out working with the same group of young ladies for years is that, you know, I, I, they react differently in different contexts. So I know who I can be hard on and then I know who I need to be a little softer so that they will accept the critique that I need to give to them. Really what it's taught me is that you have to figure out sometimes how to communicate to get your point across and you have to work it. And the reason I bring all of this up is because we're in the midst of the book of Philippians right now. 
And we've called this series A Beautiful Mind just because this is what Paul was trying to do, is trying to tell the, the people at this small church that used to uh, exist 2,000 years ago um, near, in the midst of the Roman Empire near the Aegean Sea. Paul is instructing the believers here. He needs to get something across to them. And here in chapter 3, this focus of his message to this church is going to come. Like the main reason that he is addressing this whole book of the Bible comes to fruition in chapter 3 of Philippians. Now I'll preface this too by saying is that Philippians is a popular book because there's so much good stuff in here. I, we, unfortunately we didn't get the podcast recorded last week so I couldn't hear what David said from Philippians 2 last week. Neither can you. We can all just imagine it in our minds. However, like that's great beautiful text. And next week when David wraps up this little book study it's, it's going to be the same thing. There's some great stuff in chapter 4 and I lamented today, it's like the worst chapters of Philippians to actually go through are the ones he's handed me, verses 1 and 3. And I'm going to say that chapter 3 is probably the absolute worst of all of these because for you and I living 2,000 years later, it's going to be a stretch to understand what Paul is trying to communicate. However, something that we've done all throughout Echo is we try to listen to the word of God, even the stuff that we think is not as cool as the other things because God always has something that he's communicating with us, Correct? And that's where we're at in Philippians chapter 3. My wife's agreed to read the Bible out loud for us today. You can follow along. If you have a blue Bible, we're on page 831. And this will be the third chapter of Philippians. I'll give you just a pause to be able to find that. 831, Philippians chapter 3, a New Testament letter written by this guy named Paul who wasn't with Jesus during his ministry, but had an encounter with him afterward. And we read all about it in the days of the early church. And Paul became one of the most influential voices in Christianity and has influenced a lot of how we perceive Christ as well. So, Kelly, we're going to be Philippians chapter 3. Will you read verses 1 through 7 for us? Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. There is so much churchy stuff in there that we can get lost, right? You're like, look, we're, he's, we, we talk about dogs, and then there's this whole list of these people and proper names. Just stay with me, and I'm going to do my best not to get too deep theologically, but to tell you the issue that we were dealing with here in Philippians that Paul is writing. Paul, one of the founders of the church, was one of the leading voices, but he wasn't the only other voice. We know that Jesus had disciples and they became leaders of the first church, but at the same time as those leaders emerged, the church has always been a pretty organic organization. 
even when we look at it today, as, we, as much as we want to see, you know, we, we see huge basilicas, Catholic churches, Greek Orthodox, you know, just even Protestant churches. There's all these different organizations, but really it's very organic. I mean, when we started Echo Church 12 years ago, basically it was just a few people in a credit card to pay the bills and that was it, right? Like it, it's, it's a very organic thing and therefore leaders were able to rise. And at that time, some of these leaders were talking smack about Paul. And they were actually trying to discredit certain aspects of his ministry. Specifically, what Paul is dealing right here is leaders who were originally Jews. Now, just to make sure that we're all clear on this, you know, when we talk about Jews, this is not anti-Semitism that we're putting through here. Although the church does have a history of this. The, The funny thing about that is Jesus was actually Jewish. His Jewish lineage was really established to the point that Matthew traces it back to the monarchs and the very founders of Judaism. So Jesus was a Jewish individual, but these people who were conflicting with Paul were not satisfied because they thought that Paul was throwing a baby out with the bathwater. They felt that he was too non-Jewish within the church because Paul's ministry were to Gentiles, non-Jewish people. So the Jews at that time in the ancient world only had just a small percentage of the followers. But these people said, all who come to Jesus must first become Jewish to become a Christian. Okay, so Paul is trying to combat this thought. And what he is ultimately going to say is, no, it's, not, it's no longer about being a Jewish follower of Jesus. It's just all about being a follower of Jesus. So he doesn't totally smack them in the face, but he's going to take them a few rounds because he believes they're misguided. So Paul, again, this is a kinder, gentler Paul that we're seeing all throughout Philippians. Sometimes Paul has opened up cans on people. Here he's actually being confrontational, but he's being a little softer about it. But... You're like, wait, he's being softer? What does he do here right in the beginning of the chapter? He's like, let me tell you about these dogs, right? Well, it's because he's trying to deal with this issue. Because one of the popular slang that Jewish Christians had towards non-Jews was the term dogs. And some of you are like, I love my dog. You know, it's like, that's not really a bad thing, you know? Like, everybody has, you know, I've seen now with the people that have the decals on the back of their thing showing their family, and sometimes it's just like different animals and stuff. People love dogs, but recognize that 2,000 years ago, they were predominantly known as being scavengers, right? And a dog was an annoyance. Before they were domesticated, dogs were just horrible creatures that would just, you know, you would just want them to be away. And this is how the Jews referred to this. And this is what's interesting. So what does Paul does? Paul flips that critique and says, let me tell you who the dogs are. The dogs are the people who, and this is where we're going to get fun. You check right after here in dogs in this verse. He calls them mutilators of the flesh in verse two. Mutilators of the flesh. And yes, happy Mother's Day, we get to have a conversation about circumcision, which is why you all came this morning. So I know it's difficult for us to understand keys to circumcision. And as much as you think this is awkward, uh, recognize that my daughter is in the audience and this will probably then carry on this large conversation here later. So you think this is horrible to be there when you're looking at me, think about the conversations I will have later. Understand this, is that one of the key covenants of the Bible Going back before the time of Jesus to the time of Abraham, God said, you will be set apart and different from all the other peoples of, your earth, of the earth. And this is the means by which they were to do it. 
And this, you're like, that's just, you know, like maybe our minds are going to all crazy places. But I'll tell you something that actually came into play with this issue during Jesus's times. Because the Greeks and the Romans had things called gymnasiums, which were not like, you know, Planet Fitness that you went to. But it was where dudes hung out naked to do all of the, you know, just to hang out, right? So it, it was naked hanging out, which is just, you know, there's just much going on right here. But it became incredibly evident then at that point who were the Jews and who were not. Okay, I'm going to move this picture in just a second. But I just want to just come to the point right here is that the people who said you need to be Jewish before Christians were like, yes, if you wanted to follow Jesus, the first thing you have to do, even if you're a Gentile, is to you know, eliminate aspects of your personhood, which I'm, I'm telling you, you know, for a baby, we're like, okay, that's cool. But when you're an adult, you're like, I'm not signing up for that religion for whatever happens. So what does Paul do? He calls them dogs. I, I had to get off that picture. Calls them dogs, right? But this is what's interesting. Paul calls them dogs and says, look, these people are missing the point of who Jesus is. And you know how he settles this argument? He talks about pedigree. And that's what we see right here in verses, um, and I, of course I've lost my place, in verses uh, four through six. Because he's like, look, for these people who put trust in the flesh, and that's what he's talking about here, who put trust in circumcision as this key. It's like you do this and then God loves you. He's like, listen, I have the pedigree that you don't have. Are any of you all Westminster Dog Folk show people? Like, anybody watch this? I, I don't really meet a lot of people who do. Like, if it's on TV, sometimes you watch it. You know what I'm talking about here? Is that, you know, really my, really my thing is best in show <laughs> is, is that reference, which is a completely different reference. Anyone? Christopher Guest or Roland? But here's the thing about the Westminster dog show. It still continues today, but what does it happen to do? Like, you know, they look at dogs and they examine them every which way, but then what they're really looking at is the pedigree of the dog. It's breeding. How many generations of pure breed are these dogs? And that's the way by which they judge it. I don't know about you growing up. We didn't ever have really pedigreed dogs. Actually, our dogs were always a collection of whoever was getting rid of a dog. And that's why we had it. You know, uh, we ended up with a seeing, blind, a seeing uh, eye dog one time. That was just, uh, she was just, yeah, like not good at her job. So instead of putting her down, we ended up with a seeing eye dog, which I would always didn't like grab her collar and keep my eyes closed and walk around. It just she really sucked at her job. That's why we had her as a dog. Mostly the dogs we had were mutts. Anybody have a good mutt? You do you really? Sometimes we over, you know what a mutt is. A mutt is a mixed breed. It's somebody. It's not a pure breed. The dogs, that's how the Jewish Christians who said these Gentiles should follow what we do, that's what they said. They're, they're dogs, they're not pure breed. So what Paul says is like, look, you're the dogs, they're not the dogs. You're just obsessed with flesh. Let me tell you, if anybody has pedigree, I have pedigree. He's like, you know, look at, look at my credentials right here. He's like, here's my circumcision certificate. I don't think they give those out. But if they do, he had one. He had all of these different things. I studied with this guy. I was a member of the Pharisees. I, he, and he talks about how his pedigree is undeniable. If you think you're really the pious people, I am way more pious than you'll ever be. Booyah, drop the mic. And then he says this. But all of that, the credentials that I have, the people that I hung around, the strength of my community beyond my pedigree where I could win best in show, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing 
I give it all up for Jesus. What Paul is trying to establish is this thing that, again, even though you and I might not be able to recognize this fight that Paul is you know, mediating here between Jew, Jewish Christians 2,000 years ago and Gentiles and all this stuff, what Paul is basically saying is, look, who I am today, what I've become, means nothing when I look at who Jesus is. And this is an important thing that I, Paul, that I think Paul says, is that what we need to do then as followers of Christ is not look back. Don't look back. And I think that goes both ways for us who have different pasts. Some of us have pasts that are really checkered. They're full of these horrible incidents in our lives that we wish we could forget, but unfortunately, sometimes they're still haunting our present and we think that they'll have implications on our future. And what Paul is just saying is that, look, don't look back. In Jesus, we don't look back. But I think this is interesting because what does Paul do right here? He does the inverse of that. Because as much as we think, yeah, you know, maybe some people have pasts that they're running away from. I love my past. I like where I've been. But friends, that's something that too needs to be put to the side for the sake of Jesus. I didn't include any pictures on this because I'm trying to, you know, just not like analyze people. But, you know, one of the saddest things I think in the world, and there's a lot of sad things. So maybe this is hyperbole, is child stars. Like child stars, people who were very famous and they were like cute, cuddly kids when they were, you know, like 10, 11, 12. I'm looking at you, Haley Joel Osment, right? Like people that were here and then they can never achieve the success that they had previously. And many times it absolutely ruins their lives. Friends, I think in the exact same way for some of us. What Paul is saying is don't look back. You and I need to get to the point where we don't look back, whether it's because of something in our past that is ugly or something that's precious. Because why? Because Jesus defines our today and our eternity. Kelly, do me a favor. We're going to keep reading right here. We read verses 8 through 11 of Philippians 3. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So actually, Paul's going a little further here. Because what Paul is saying is like, it's not just that I don't think about my past. It's not just that I compartmentalize that so I focus on Jesus today. No, he's just like, it's worthless. I devalue it. I'm not even going to dwell on it because that means nothing to who I am today. And again, for some of us who are in the midst of chasing things right now, whether professionally or personally, that's a message that we always need to hear because we're in the midst of these struggles and these opportunities where we're looking at where we once were or where we want to be and we're trying to collect accolades and trophies and opportunities, right? And Paul's just saying, I consider it nothing, nothing for Jesus, What does he really say right here? I love it. Is that um, he considers it rubbish. Or maybe your translation says garbage. You ever think about garbage? 
you know, maybe you are that person. And if so, you know, we go, we're going to go with a spectrum of people here. Maybe you're obsessed with garbage. I'm not, except it was funny this week I was driving between appointments and, um, I, you know, I'm, it's a beautiful day, driving with the windows down, just having a good ride. And then I'm just like, that just stinks. Like something was putrid. And I was like, what is that? And I forgot I was driving right by Mount Rumpke. Have you ever been by Mount Rumpke? And for those of you that are not really good Cincinnatians, uh, if you've not like, lived here a long time, I remember when there was really no mount with Mount Rumpke. But what's funny is that this is where all, it's not funny, I guess, this is reality. This is where your trash goes. Like when you throw something away, you know, when we throw it away, it goes, you know, ends up at Mount Rumpke. And then what they do is, you know, they, they continue to work on the landfill. So it was a landfill. It was, you know, it was like a valley. And now it's a mountain. And now they just continue to expand the mountain. That's, that's everything. And it's, it's just crazy is when, when you're driving by, they do a good job because you see the trucks and the way they pull things. You don't actually see actual trash on the outside. Like they, I don't know how, you know, I guess I could do a whole study on this, but I don't care that much. Like how do they actually, like how do they make it look good from the outside? Like you never, you, you know, it's not like you're just seeing all this trash everywhere. But that whole mountain is a mountain dedicated to trash. I wonder when they're going to stop with that. Like, you know, are we going to have like the, like, will it be big enough for like a Rumpke Mount Rushmore type thing? Will we put like certain people, like certain Cincinnatians on there? Like, because Jerry Springer's got to be on Rumpke Mount, right? Like, like, how's that going to turn out? I have no idea. But it's the thing is that every day you throw things away. And even though most of us, you know, some of us urbanites here, we're more ecologically conscious, but you, you know, you think about trash. But here's the thing is that, what is trash? It's stuff that I'm fine to be done with. Trash is my point of release. The reason that there are television shows like Hoarders, and maybe we have some Hoarders among us, you know, I feel like my daughter is starting to develop those tendencies. I tried to throw away a mint box today, and she's just like, that can't go into the trash because it's, and I'm like, all right. Like we develop this, but why do we develop this affinity for it? Because sometimes it's even tough to throw away things that are absolutely worthless. Do you see this in your life? If it's that tough to throw away things that are worthless, how difficult is it for you to consider trash something that's valuable to you? Just pause for a second. What is your singular best accomplishment in your life thus far? Maybe put that in your mind bank. If you died right now, what was the, what's the singular best accomplishment that you have had? You know, what, what do you want in your obituary? You know, whether it be family or degree or job title, whatever that. Would you be willing to just call that nothing right now? And that's tough. You're like, wait, that's my kid. That's something. But is that more important than who you are in Christ? The Jesus who is going to define not just your today, but your eternity. What Paul is trying to do, and you're like, okay, this is exaggerated, but what is Paul trying to do? He's trying to take the conversation. He's working it through. He's like, really consider the large-term implications of what you're doing when you're forcing people to follow more than what God wants them to do. When you want them to be about circumcision, when you want to be them about law and ritual, it's you're, you're missing this. And what Paul says, and this is what's beautiful, Paul, again, he has the pedigree. He knows what it means to be a good follower of God. He's received revelation straight from Jesus. And what does he say right here? This is verse 10 and 11, which I think is the most important thing that we get in this entire text. More than my accolades, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Like what Paul is saying is just like, let me know Jesus more. I think that's tough for you and I, right? Because we live so far away from this is removed. 
on a Tuesday morning during your commute to work or school, you really think, you know, I just want to know Jesus more. It just, it's usually not in the first thing of our mind. What I usually want to know is what's on my Twitter feed. What, what, what happened in Washington that day, right? I want to know the box score of last night. Do I, do I really wake up with this concept? I've, I want to know Jesus more. Friends, that's the key of what we've been talking about during this series for a mind that's truly beautiful. It's not a mind that knows everything. It's not a mind that has everything within the pedigree lined up. It's a mind that is longing and yearning to know more about their Savior. That's where we should be. Kelly, do me a favor. Read this next verses right here, verses 12 to 14. Not that I have already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is doing is he's putting out what is our goal then? As followers of Jesus, what is our goal? And I think this is very cool for Paul because what he says is that my goal is unrealized. Okay, so goal setting is something that psychologists will tell you is a very important thing to be able to be productive in the world today, Right? Like they say, you need to set a goal, articulate how you're going to get there and stay focused on it because otherwise we humans just tend to be apathetic, we will procrastinate, and we will never accomplish it. Do you have those in your life, by the way? Maybe they're, you know, I think about this, you know, the bucket list, which wasn't even a term really before the movie, and now we use bucket list. It's like, what's on your bucket list? What is that list of things in your bucket that you want to accomplish before you meet your maker, Right? Like, what is on that list? What goals do you have for yourself? And how audacious are theirs? There's this thing in business speak called BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. Like, maybe you've been in a corporate culture where, you know, that person comes in and, you know, they take their glasses off. What, what is your BHAG? Anyone been in that room? I've been there with consultants. And you're like, you're a BHAG. And it just sounds, just sounds fun. I find the older we get it, the more difficult it is sometimes to set those goals. I set one for myself this year. I decided I was going to try to qualify for the Boston Marathon. It's a personal goal. I've run about 15 marathons. In order to do it, even at my age, you have to run in a godly time. Like as much as I can say I'm some semblance of athletic, I still am not to the point to where I'm a gazelle out running on a course to be able to run a marathon in three hours, ten minutes. But there's ways you get there. So I set a goal. Not only that, I pulled out a spreadsheet. I knew every day how much I needed to run. I read and researched it. I had the books. I was actually running like a gazelle. And then last week when I was in here, I, I did not run like a gazelle. For three miles I did. It was beautiful. I was with my pace group at 310. I'm running with them. There's people, you know, like these sticks who are running who, you know, they're just all like muscular little, you know, people just running at full space. And I was with them and I felt wonderful. And then right at mile three before I crossed over the Clayway Bailey Bridge, I felt like somebody stabbed me in the back of my leg. And I went from running like a gazelle to running like a wounded gazelle that a cheetah was going to take advantage of. Somehow I made it through. That's it. I still have the goal. I don't, I've left my phone back there. I keep like a little Boston thing. So again, instead of me, I put this on the Facebooks, this meeting, they sent me my pictures from the marathon and I laughed because there was a picture of me, you know, this is me at the end, kind of resigned. I'm not smiling. I'm waving to people because they actually are like, go, go, go. And you're like, that's nice. But I, was, I kind of looked pissed, didn't I? 
And then they sent me my marathon pictures and a picture of this lady power walking. And I think it's because it, her number looks close to mine, but then I was like, that's how I felt and this is how I was. But here's, here's the funny thing about this. So I, I, I was trying to tell myself, how am I going to approach mentally if I don't reach this goal? And you know what I did Monday, like the day after? I signed up for my next marathon, like just to try to get it done. And you know why? Because I'm mental and I only define myself by my past, so I need to listen to Paul. But, that, but there's that. But here's the bigger thing is I love about this, is that the fun thing is, is that it's a goal that I have not yet attained. A goal that I haven't attained. And I found like those are the best goals. Because if you set your sights low, low and accomplish a goal, there's a feeling when you're done of now what? There's a hollowness. Like seriously, I've read, I've read everything about marathons. And I'm telling you, there's a depression that people go in, whoever, you like reach a goal, they're trained for so long, and then they achieve it because it's like, what next? Isn't that funny? It's like there's this thing. Here's what I like about what Paul is saying within this. Because again, maybe we can relate to this. I say this because we all have goals. We have opportunities that are set before us. This is what Paul is saying, is that Paul is saying, my goal is not yet realized. Remember, where's Paul writing this from? From prison. And actually, it's kind of ridiculous that a man in prison who faces the potential of dying, because when, again, if he's in a real prison, then there's very high likelihood of disease and he might just die because of something that he catches in prison. So death is facing him. And Paul's just like, let me tell you about my goals. And the thing I love about this, he goes, my goals are unrealized. And what are those goals is that he presses on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He uses, friends, that popular metaphor, which would have been in the day of ancient Greece, Olympic competition. He co-ops that and says, look, I want to win the race. And for me, the winning the race, what is it? Let's go back to verses 10 and 11. What's the race? I want to know Christ more. Good goal setters would say, that's highly ambiguous, Paul. You need to have something more concrete. You need to say how many thousands of people you will hope to baptize in the next few years. Paul's just like, no, let me just keep this simple. If my goal is to pursue Christ and to allow his change to infect other people, then that is sufficient for me. Friends, even though this is an ancient issue that we're dealing with, I think that nugget right there might actually help you. This week, as you're trying in your work or your school or in your relationships to try to break new ground and have influence, is it really about your gain or believing they're rubbish for Jesus? Why do we talk Jesus so much? Because he changes us. Why do we constantly talk about the effect of Jesus in our life? Why do we have communion every week? Why is everything that we do as a community focused on Jesus? Because we believe that God came to earth, emptied out everything, became subservient to death, defeated death, and all that for us. And therefore, his definition of our life releases us in a way that we can't imagine. Skeptics will say it's a crutch. We think it's something much more. Jesus defines us. Can you, can that be enough for you? Can it be enough for you? So here's the thing. I could keep going on through the end of the chapter. There's a lot here. I could talk much more about circumcision. If anybody wants to catch me later, we'll, we'll start a chat room. I'll start a URL. Echo cuts or something, I don't know. I did that. I still have to talk to my daughter later. This is like the worst. You, so again, you think it's bad. It's worse for me. Right now, she's just like, forget it. This is the worst. Love you, Kaylin. Here's the interesting thing. 
Can I focus on verse 17 right here? Because I think this is interesting. Because in all of the midst of this conversation, where does Paul land? If you take a look at verse 17, you can read in your Bible, read it up here. Can I look at this? Because I think this is incredibly important. Because at the end of all this stuff, everything I did was rubbish. You know, I was at the high, now I, it's, it's low. All I'm doing is, even though I'm in prison right now, I'm pursuing Jesus. And then Paul says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have, um, and I might have missed a word. Oh, no, just as you have us uh, as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So Paul's like, how do you do this? So if I'm just going to say, I'm going to consider everything in my past as rubbish and going to look forward to something, how do you accomplish this? Like, what is the step to your goal? And the step, he says, is that be like me. Paul says, be like me. Notice that he doesn't just say, be like me. He says, and keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So he's like, be, but, be like we who are actually living this out. Now, really, this weirds people out. Because I'm usually good with be like Jesus, right? That, that's good because it's like, yeah, Jesus, you know, he was, you know, it depends, you know, who drew him because he might be white Jesus or might actually be historically accurate. He has a beard or not. Maybe it's sketchy. I don't know. But Jesus, I get, I get that. I get being like Jesus. Being like Paul? I'm not sure I get that. How about this? If I had the gumption today to say, the summary of my message to you this morning is be like Steve. Some of you would be like, done, that was it. Like the banana took me there. You put it past the end zone, man, it's done. If I told you the takeaway from Echo Church today is that you need to be like Steve Carr, we would weed this thing out even more so than we ever have. However, do you realize that that's what Paul is advocating here? In essence, he's saying, for you to figure out how to do this, find people who are doing that and live it out. Do you know why it's better conceptually with Jesus than Steve? Because you know me, right? You know how I cruelly showed a picture of some walking middle-aged woman right here, you know, and just said, ha, 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 right? Like, you, you know my intricacies and the fallacies associated with them, and you want to say, no, I do not want to be like that guy. And to be honest with you, one of the things I think that has made Echo work is that we have a low value of, like, Christian leadership. We love Christian leadership, but we don't try to be oppressive where it's like, okay, everything is captured within an individual, but yet the Bible speaks to that. You need to be like me. Now, one thing is, if I'm going to tell somebody, be like me, you better dang skippy be confident that I'm going to try living my life better. And to be honest with you, it's something that challenges me every day of my life. If I really want to be like Jesus, then I need to be doing it so well that I can tell people to be like me. That doesn't mean then that I'm perfect. I'm never going to be there. But can I exemplify myself to the extent that I can tell somebody you can live life like me and be getting somewhere? Lord, I hope so. Let's talk about this within the context of this day because David gave a great Mother's Day you know, transition in community. We're glad for your mom, for you moms here who are have this. Sometimes though, there's a myriad of things related to this day, right? Some of you, maybe you're at the point where you're, you don't have children. You can't have children. There's some burden with that. Some of you, 
and this is one of the things that is always difficult within the church and holidays, and we always try to be cognizant of this, some of your family situations are so horrible that as much as some of us are trying to praise our mothers, you're trying to forget your mother in the past. And you're trying to live life beyond that. So difficult, right? It's so difficult because this is where people lose faith. It's not that we lose faith in God and we lose faith in Jesus. Usually it's that we lose faith in people. In people. And that's why when Christian leaders fall, it's so detrimental, right? It's so detrimental to everything because people see that. How do we get beyond this? I I don't know. Except that we who love Christ and are trying to pursue what Paul is doing here need to make sure it's lived out. My knowledge of Christ, my knowing him, my loving him, my being closer is inextricably linked to my ability to live that out. I might be the most brilliant theologian to ever walk the face of the earth, but if I'm an asshole, I'm an asshole, right? So I need to have both. Friends, I'm going to try myself to be this person for you. What I need you to do is to be this person for me. Passion for the gospel of Jesus, passion for personal transformation is forgetting what's behind, even the best that you did, considering it trash, for the sake of giving it all up for him. Have that in you. Pursue Jesus. Be an example. Heavenly Father, I appreciate the words of Paul here this morning, and I'm hoping that we all find them as a distinct challenge to our futures. Because, Father, um, in this world where we're known by our CV or our LinkedIn profile, where we can put accolades and accomplishments in a singular place by which we're judging ourselves, we know that in the scheme of eternity, it means nothing in comparison to our relationship with you. So that's what I pray over today, Father, for every woman and man and child here with us today. Help us to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings so that we might become more like him. Help us to press toward that goal. And Father, as we forget this past, whether it's horrible things in our past, whether it's it's the joyous things in our past, help us just to be confident that you are worth it because, Father, you are worth it. Thanks for your love. Thanks for your grace. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen.